Welcome to the Story Scribe Podcast. I am your host, Blake Oliver, and it is good to see you in 2023. We've made it maybe to a new year. It's a new year, but maybe it'll be better than the last several. Uh, We shall see. Uh, This is technically a day late, uh, but I have been moving. I am moving up to the Boston area. Uh, so, uh, forgive me for the tardiness. Uh, also at the top of the show, I want to go ahead and say that, uh, I am going to talk about copyright law and the, uh, OGL and SRD from D&D. And, uh, if you're not interested in all those sorts of things, this is probably not going to interest you, but maybe you are also interested in these things. Um, I should go ahead and throw out there, I am not a lawyer. Uh, I am a writer who understands a decent amount of copyright law because I don't like to break it. Uh, and I want to make sure that people don't use my own work uh, because I'm a writer. So we're going to talk a little bit about all of those sorts of things and how people have been blowing up about the OGL changes for D&D and it's not necessarily as big as people are making it out to be. So stick around and let's talk about it. Additional disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. This does not constitute as legal advice. So First and foremost, top of the episode, let's talk about there has have been a lot of opinions put out, especially by content creators who are very concerned about this OGL change. Um, I understand why that is a thing. Uh, however, I think that we need to suspend a little bit of the hype in order to get into the barest amount of weeds, like I said, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not going to go all the way into the weeds. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into a little bit of what the OGL did, what the changes were proposed in December, uh, and kind of the update of what I see now, and also a couple of the comments that I've seen. Um, if you're looking for much more thorough legal commentary about this, uh, there is a video on YouTube from Legal Eagle. Uh, That is one of my favorite legal uh, videos. Uh, I know, again, super nerd. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, But Legal Eagle on YouTube has one. And also there is a podcast called Opening Arguments. They get a lot more into the weeds. I think it's a very interesting and thorough look, uh, even deeper than what Legal Eagle does. Legal Eagle will give you kind of an uh, overview Uh, I would go ahead and watch what he gives, uh, and then there's a very, uh, that's kind of almost a watered-down version. Then if you're really looking for the fiber of things, uh, go and read the opening arguments, or uh, listen to the opening arguments podcast on it. So let's get into, there's a difference between uh, a couple of different things that we need to know before we dive too far in. 
there's the OGL, the SRD, copyright, and trademark. Uh, trademark is very, very specific, and copyright is also pretty specific. Uh, trademark is uh, like the ambersand uh, that D&D has created, the, the actual logo, and also the like name Dungeons & Dragons or Wizards of the Coast, or Hasbro, and like their logos. Uh, those are things that are the trademarks. That way you know when you're getting a product from a certain person. Um, if you're already working with Wizards of the Coast on a D&D product, you're probably uh, right under this trademark and don't have any issues. The copyright is over specific material not necessarily methods so methods are not protected uh so a lot of the arguments about like how DD works you could rip right off and that's something that ended up happening under the original ogl which we'll get to um copyright especially protects like anything to do with their specific settings anything to do with their specific monster manual and how their monster stats work, uh, anything about their specific characters, all of those things uh, fall under copyright. Those are owned specifically by D&D, by Wizards of the Coast. Um, similar to if you're a writer in general and you create a story about a young person who you know, get some magical object and that object has to be used to fight evil or defeat evil in some way, that concept cannot be copyrighted, cannot be trademarked. However, because that describes an awful lot of things, uh, however, when you start to name them um, Sam, not Samwise, Sam, um, that then makes them a copyrightable character. Uh, the specific plot points, the specific aspects make it copyrightable. Um, if that makes sense. Hopefully that does. If you created anything for D&D, technically, they could be just like Disney and say, you can't do that at all. This is our IP, our intellectual property, and we do not accept you making stuff out of it. However, they then went and created uh, the SRD, which is the Standard Rules something. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but the SRD defines what a D&D game is. Uh, you know, it, everything about, like, creatures and how different character species work uh, and all of those sorts of things. They then created what was the original 1.0 OGL or Open Game License. Um, the OGL originally was very, very open, but did not mean that you could create just anything because it is still supposed to be the intellectual property of Wizards of the Coast uh, and D&D. So... The original OGL actually invited the community in in order to create content.
Now, at this point, I want to go ahead and interject that there are a lot of content creators that at least I follow that have made a really big deal about how the uh, the new OGL 1.1 has changed things to be more restrictive and all of those sorts of things. And in some ways, yes. In a lot of ways, way blown out of proportion. Um, again, for, for a lot more specifics, I really do suggest going to listen to the opening arguments podcasts. But... One of the biggest examples of how the OGL was used was Paizo, another company, then took a lot of what was then 3.5 D&D, tweaked it a little bit, and create a, created a competitor product which actually beat D&D for several years. When we hear about... Like, uh, I, I've been hearing about, like, oh, people are, you know, really mad at Wizards for being so greedy. And, you know, even the people within Watsi are, you know, so mad because, you know, the, the executives are so greedy. It's like, well, first of all, there's a competitor out there who's making tens of millions of dollars a year uh, on a product that is very closely related. And second of all, they're a company... Of course they want money. I don't know who forgot to tell everyone about this, but it's kind of like when we all get mad at EA. Like, sure, we all get mad at EA, uh, Electronic Arts, for how they deal with their publishers uh, or for how they deal as a publisher with some of their uh, game developers. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be surprised that they want money and they want the money on products that they have a, a vested interest in to earn them money. That should not be a surprise. So let's look at what I can tell is the first response uh, posted on D&D Beyond from uh, anyone actually connected to Wizards. Uh, posted by the D&D Beyond staff on December 21st, 2022. Uh, the leak of the OGL 1.1 had already happened, and so this is what they said. We love the interest and passion the community has for D&D. We love D&D too. So when we see the D&D community concerned by rumors and misunderstandings, we want to clear the air and share the facts with you, even if it's a bit earlier than our original plan. You all matter to us, and we want to provide transparency on how D&D will continue supporting third-party creators. So here are the facts. One, will one D&D include an SRD slash be covered by an OGL? Yes. First, we're redesigning one D&D with 5th edition backwards compatibility, so all existing creator content that is compatible with 5th edition will also be compatible with 1D&D. Second, we will update the SRD for 1D&D as we complete its development, development that is informed by the results of playtests that we're conducting with hundreds of thousands of D&D players now. Two, will the OGL terms change? Yes. We will release version 1.1 of the OGL in early 2020. Uh, 23. 
The OGL needs an update to ensure that it keeps doing what it was intended to do. Allow the D&D community's independent creators to build and play and grow the game we all love without allowing things like third parties to mint D&D NFTs and large businesses to exploit our intellectual property. So what's changing? First, we're making sure that OGL 1.1 is clear about what it covers and what it doesn't. OGL 1.1 makes it clear it only covers material created for use in or as TTRPGs, and those materials are only ever permitted as printed media or static electronic files like EPUBs and PDFs. Other types of content, like video games and videos, I said that backwards if you're reading along, uh, are only possible through Wizards of the Coast fan content policy or a custom agreement with us. To clarify, outside of printed media and static electronic files, the OGL doesn't cover it. Will this affect the D&D content and services players use today? It shouldn't. The top VTT platforms already have custom agreements with Wizards to do what they do. D&D merchandise like minis, novels, were never intended to be part of the OGL, and OGL 1.1 won't change that. Creators wishing to leverage D&D for those forms of expression will need, as they always have needed, custom agreements between us. So I wasn't going to try and do this. I was going to try and just read it through. I do want to go ahead and point out a couple of things. First, this kind of confirms what I had kind of thought ahead of time, which is generally, especially if you're a player, uh, let's go ahead and throw it out there. This will not affect you. Um, even if you are a creator of D&D content, this is probably not going to affect you. Uh, it seems to be focused on people who are trying to create other products, not necessarily D&D-related things, but competitor products. So products that point back to D&D that you would need the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook in order to play, they're fine with. Uh, if, if they need uh, to purchase another book that they make in order to make that book make sense, they're not going to have a problem with it. However, they have a really big problem and they, you know, I don't blame them. Again, Paizo essentially tweaked a couple of things about 3.5 and called it a new thing and under OGL 1.0 they managed to do that um one of the things so I as a writer I am not allowed to uh create a novel set in a D&D world like Eberron without a direct relationship with D&D that's fine you know, I could even write a novel that uh, used a lot of the rules of D&D, and maybe I just played it on my own, because uh, there are those kinds of stories. Um, and, and that's how I created the stories. I just rolled a whole bunch of dice, uh, and I let whatever happened happen, and I used the D&D system. But I never told anybody, that's not going to affect D&D. But if I were to set a novel in Sharn, uh, in Eberron... I would need a direct relationship with D&D. I can't make a D&D movie. I can't make a video game. I can't make a novel. This relationship specifically 
only allows me and other creators to make uh, TTRPG content that connects back to D&D. That's the point of the OGL 1.0, uh, and it looks like they're trying to make that more specific with 1.1. Back to the document. Second, we're updating the OGL to offer different terms to creators who choose to make free share-alike content and creators who want to sell their products. What does this mean for you as a creator? If you're making share-alike content, very little is going to change from what you're already used to. If you're making commercial content, relatively little is going to change for most creators. For most of you who are selling custom content, here are the new things you'll need to do. One, accept the license terms and let us know what you're offering for sale. So for example, they already, I'm sorry, I'm breaking again. Um, I already have a relationship with them very technically because I sell things through uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild. They already know what I'm offering for sale because it's there. Um, if that changes, I will, will try and make sure to let that uh, be updated. Um, but as far as I'm aware, for me, as a very small-time creator, that's not a problem. Two, report OGL-related revenue annually if you make more than $50,000 in a year. I do not. Uh, so I will not necessarily have to worry about that much revenue being an issue. Three, include a creator product badge on your work, which if you publish through uh, D&D Beyond or uh, publish through the Dungeon Masters Guild, you already have that. When we roll out OGL 1.1, we will also provide explanatory videos, FAQs, and a web portal for registration to make navigating these requirements as easy and as intuitive as possible. We'll also have help available to creators to navigate the new process. For the fewer than 20 creators worldwide who make more than $750,000 in income in a year, we will add a royalty starting in 2024. So, even for the creators making significant money selling D&D supplements and games, no royalties will be due for 2023, and all revenue below $750,000 in future years will be royalty-free. I don't know about the rest of you. Again, this will not affect me. Everyone, I, I, I almost want to guarantee it's not going to affect most of your uh, favorite creators. It might affect some of the biggest names you know, i.e. probably Paizo and probably Kobold Press and other big names. It could affect, uh, for example, um, CR's uh, Critical Role's print arm, but I doubt that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so put a pin in that. Um, back to the document. Bottom line, the OGL is not going away, which you don't want it to go away because then it would mean that they might sue you for creating D&D content. Uh, you will still be able to create new D&D content, publish it anywhere, and game with your friends and followers in all the ways that make this game and community so great. The thousands of creators publishing across Kickstarter, DMs Guild, and more are a critical part of the D&D experience, and we will continue to support and encourage them to do that through One D&D and beyond. 
And that's their original response. Um, a lot of stuff kept going on, kept being said about people. Again, I would say most of it blowing everything very much out of proportion. Um, taking that somewhat at face value doesn't seem particularly dangerous, especially to anyone of a small, even I would say to a medium time creator, uh, you're not going to be worried. There's no reason to worry um, from what I can tell. The other thing that I would say is that uh, the, the people who are making lots of money, especially with products that are kind of derivative, I would not blame D&D, uh, Wizard of the Coast, for wanting to go after Paizo and say, hey, you know how you changed, like, a few things and called it a brand new thing, and it's mostly ours? You should do... You should either stop that or you should start paying us for using our product. I get that. I actually think it would be a little bit more interesting now, uh, as far as a legal battle would go, because... Paizo now has released a second edition, which has changed it much more significantly from what I understand. I don't play Pathfinder or Pathfinder 2e. So, uh, but from what I have heard from creators who are interested in Pathfinder, um, it is much, much more different now than it used to be. So even for Paizo, I could see a lot of this doesn't even matter. I think what they want to do with, at Wizards of the Coast is make sure there's not another Paizo situation. And with that, let's take a quick break. When we're back, I will talk about the update response, uh, much more recent, and I'll talk about some creator responses. And we're back. Let's talk about the update response. Uh, so again, people kept saying things, um, including some of my favorite uh, creators. So I know that uh, I follow an awful lot of creators because obviously I like D&D a lot. Um, but even one of my favorite creators is one of the most inflammatory i would say so dnd shorts is one that i follow on dean or on uh youtube i would say that usually does a great job um but if you end up watching his uh exposing every lie and wizard's official statement like it it ends up going through and just kind of in bad faith going through the the documents um and I think that you always need to keep an open mind to the fact that maybe they're trying to cover their tracks and they definitely are trying to cover their tracks because of the uproar. Um, but I also think that they're trying to do as honest and sincere of a response as possible as well. Um, so with that in mind, let's read an update on the open game license, uh, which was posted um, on uh, the 13th of January. 
When we initially conceived of revising the OGL, it was with three major goals in mind. First, we wanted the ability to prevent the use of D&D content from being included in hateful and discriminatory products. That, uh, so if you did not know, um, just generally within sort of contracts, if it's not within the contract, you can't necessarily make it an actionable uh, thing. So there wasn't anything in the original OGL about them being able to cancel your license uh, specifically for hateful and discriminatory products. There was kind of a very vague general uh, way of like, they could take away your license, but they don't really talk about uh, that. So I did hear in um, specifically opening arguments about the fact that like, apparently neo-Nazis and white supremacists love TTRPGs and will make really gross things. And this might actually be a response to try and keep those kind of sexist fascist pigs out of being able to make anything approaching um, a third party product that they would accept. Um, second, we wanted to address those attempting to use D&D in Web3 blockchain games and NFTs by making clear that OGL content is limited to tabletop role-playing content like campaigns, modules, and supplements. This is specifically, uh, if you listen again to open arguments, because there are NFT bros who are trying to monetize D&D by cutting out Wizards of the Coast. Third, we wanted to ensure that the OGL is for the content creator, the home brewer, the aspiring designer, our players, and the community, not major corporations to use for their own commercial and promotional purpose. Again, this is a shot at people like Paizo. Driving these goals were two simple principles. One, our job is to be good stewards of the game, and two, the OGL exists for the benefit of the fans. Nothing about those principles has wavered for a second. That was why our early drafts of the new OGL included the provisions they did. That draft language was provided to content creators and publishers so their feedback could be considered before anything was finalized. In addition to language allowing us to address discriminatory and hateful conduct and clarifying what types of products the OGL covers, our drafts included royalty language designed to apply to large corporations attempting to use OGL content. It was never our intent to impact the vast majority of the community. However, it's clear from the reaction that we rolled a natural one. It has become clear that it is no longer possible to fully achieve all three goals while still staying true to our principles. So here's what we are doing. The next OGL will contain the provisions that allow us to protect and cultivate the inclusive environment that we are trying to build and specify that it covers only content for TTRPGs. That means that other expressions, such as educational and charitable campaigns, live streams, cosplay, VTT uses, etc., will remain unaffected by any OGL update. Content already released under 1.0a will also remain unaffected. So, again, they are just reiterating that what they're trying to do is stop another Paizo scenario. That's how I'm reading that. I 
they are not concerned. They're super not concerned by critical role. They're not threatened by critical role, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, they are not worried about content that is trying to point back to D&D. They do not want another Pathfinder situation. As they move on to one D&D, they don't want someone to make a couple tweaks to a 5e and be like, hey, look, it's a brand new system, and I get to make money and not pay D&D not pay wizards that's what they're worried about what it will not contain is any royalty structure that is new uh it also will not include the license back provision that some people were afraid was a means for us to steal work that thought never crossed our minds under any new ogl you will own the content you create we won't any language we put down will be crystal clear and unequivocal on that point. The license back language was intended to protect us and our partners from creators who incorrectly allege that we steal their work simply because of coincidental similarities. As we continue to invest in the game that we love and move forward with partnerships in film, television, and digital games, that risk is simply too great to ignore. The new OGL will contain provisions to address that risk, but we will do it without a license back and without suggesting we have rights to content or to the content you create. Your ideas and imagination are what makes this game special and that belongs to you. I know that this is particularly one, uh, a provision that how it was worded in the leaked uh, contract made it sound like they could publish it without necessarily paying the creator or possibly even without really giving credit to the creator that is one of the things that you know i have always said from the very beginning of this to some of my friends that would be super illegal again i've not been worried about this the whole time if that were true so let's say i created something for DD and then they dead up stole it and i took them to court and said here it is the thing i created and put on my or my name on and then they created a billion copies and distributed it without paying me a dime i would win that case that would fall under the copyright law of i created something i may have used their system which again is not copyrighted under the license which they've created to allow me to create it but that does not give them the right to my creation that's how the law would work in that case at least again i am not a lawyer from what i understand of copyright law that's how that would work um, and i have a vested interest to understand it as well as i can as a writer Back to the document. A couple of last thoughts. First, we won't be able to release the new OGL today because we need to make sure we get it right, but it is coming. Second, also I want to go back and say, uh, when they say draft earlier, it was not a draft. That's something that even uh, Open Arguments calls them out and was like, it, it's not a draft. It's definitely like, like the legal arguments and the legal document that they it is a contract it is an agreement they can update it forever they can instantly the very next day put out a 1.2 and that would be fine it doesn't make them drafts 
once they publish it, it become and say you have to abide by it. Like that's the new contract. Um, so did want to throw that out there. They're definitely at that point. I will say they're trying to make it sound as minimally invasive as possible, as minimally threatening as possible. Um, second, you're going to hear people say that they won and we lost because making your voices heard forced us to change our plans. Those people will only be half right. They won and so did we. Our plan was always to solicit the input of our community before any update to the OGL. The drafts you've seen were attempting to do just that. We want to always delight fans and create experiences together that everyone loves. We realize we did not do that this time, and we are sorry for that. Our goal was to get exactly the type of feedback on which provisions worked and which did not, which we ultimately got from you. Any change this major could only have been done well if we were willing to take that feedback, no matter how it was provided, so we are. Thank you for caring enough to let us know what works and what doesn't, what you need and what scares you. Without knowing that, we can't do our part to make the new OGL match our principles. Finally, we'd appreciate the chance to make this right. We love D&D's devoted players and the creators who take them on so many incredible adventures. We won't let you down. So, again, they, they kind of use some draft language. It wasn't a draft. That's one where I will say they're they're trying to, to lighten the blow from before and placate people with it. Um, it's one that people have got very upset that they're like, it wasn't a draft! Um, and it wasn't, but you can understand why they're trying to say it. Um, I do think that people got very upset, voiced it. You know, I know a lot of people have uh, unsubscribed to their D&D Beyond account because it, it went up around that, like, that was one of the main metrics that they've got that they're looking at. Um, they, they apparently did see it, and that, that's when this came out. Um, I do think, you know, even though it wasn't a draft, it was just the next, it was 1.1, so whatever they come out, I guess they can call it 1.1, or maybe they're trying to call 1.1 1.0a, I'm not really sure what 1.0a is, if that was the original 1.0, or if that's the middle step that they were looking at, um, whatever one they release next will include various things, the biggest one being the, the lack of um, royalties to them. That's one of the biggest things. Uh, I think they got a right to protect their intellectual property, uh, and that looks like what they're trying to do, and I don't think that they're worried about the me's of the world, and they're not even worried about some of the biggest names, including Critical Role. And if you've looked around, like, a couple of places have already started to post uh, different responses. Um, so, for example, Critical Role put out just their own statement. It's very short, um, so I'm 
reading this uh, from belloflostsouls.net because I got rid of my Twitter. Um, but Critical Role has always supported creators and game development in the tabletop space. We stand by our industry peers as well as anyone who takes a risk creating a new system or developing an original idea. The beauty of gaming comes from the opportunity to share inclusive, diverse, and compelling stories from a wide spectrum of creators. That's exactly why we launched our own game publishing company a few years ago, because we believe that broadening the field of creators boosts the entire industry. The success we have experienced is thanks to the passion and interest of the greater tabletop community, and we commit to fostering an environment that allows everyone the opportunity to easily share the stories they wish to tell. So, what I end up hearing about that a lot is Critical Role, you know, their hands are tied because they've got um, deals in the works with, you know, Wizards of the Coast directly, um, and they've got distinctly a, a huge sponsorship deal from D&D Beyond. Um, that, that, like, that's the only reason they're not saying anything. And you know what? That that may very well be true. Um, part of it is that they are being paid, and probably pretty well, because of their partnership and sponsorship from Wizards of the Coast, Wizards of the Coast-related uh, companies like D&D Beyond. Uh, the biggest thing that I would also say is, like, there were some people who were like, oh, D this will hurt Critical Role. And I don't think that's true, because again, from everything that is said throughout all that they have put out, Critical Role is creating content that points back to D&D. That makes Wizards of the Coast lots of money. Also, by being connected to... Wizards of the Coast and D&D officially, they make the most money than they, that they could have. The more involved with D&D and Wizards of the Coast that they are, the more money they're likely to make. And all of the other, um, the only other thing that they might have done if they were to switch over to Pathfinder, the number one competitor, again, Paizo, if they were to switch over to Pathfinder, like, they might still make a decent amount of money. I don't think they're going to do that because at this point, especially, D&T makes more money than any of the other companies, by far. You know, there was that period of time in which Paizo's uh, Pathfinder 1E, again, D&D 3.5, tweaked a little bit, was making more money than D&D, especially D&D 4th Edition. When 5e came out, that changed. And Critical Role doing D&D has made it so that D&D has increased in popularity, which makes Wizards of the Coast very happy, but it also gets Critical Role in front of more eyes, because Wizards of the Coast loves that relationship. I guarantee it. There is no reason that they would endanger that in any way. Um, 
they, I am sure, because it mentioned several times, if you've got a very specific agreement with us, that's the agreement with us. It's not under the OGL. And I guarantee Critical Role has a specific, probably very generous agreement with, with Wizards of the Coast. That I would, I would stake. I'm not a gambling man. I'll stake a dollar on it to one person. <laughs> Probably myself. Um, but the the idea that Critical Role is going to, you know, cut all ties immediately, doubt it. And also, they probably have people who are talking to them directly from Wizards of the Coast making sure that they understand that their relationship is still very special and very well protected and that they'll all keep on making money I, I don't think that they're going to want to jump ship either and their relationship also means that when they say like hey we support people making stuff we make made a new stuff like you know they start off as just a bunch of crazy ass voice actors you know playing D, and now they have like a worldwide phenomena live stream show um and they also create content so the taldore re setting reborn that just came out uh, like a last year that points back to D, &D as well it's not d 5e compatible it it's just i mean i guess it is 5e compatible it it points back directly to 5e you could not really use a lot of the rules in that book without fifth edition srd and the ogl it it just wouldn't work that way so from all that if you've heard a lot of the hype, I'm, I'm hoping that you've listened to all of this with an open mind. And I hope that maybe this makes you feel like it's not a big bad cloud coming over D&D &D Beyond and D&D &D and Wizards of the Coast. Um, what I'd like to say uh, is that... One of the good things about all of this is that there are people who are saying, well, so let's play other games. And I don't like that they're doing it out of anger. But, like, I love Green Ronin's Dragon Age uh, rules. Their age system. Love it. Would love to play more of that. Um, I really like the idea of uh, The Witcher and their TTRPG system. Would love to play more of that. There are other systems out there, and they also should be played by people who are passionate about them. Um, I know one of my best friends loves Savage Worlds. I, I hope he finds even more people excited to play with him. Um, I like playing it. Like, you know, it, it's fun to play things, and not necessarily out of this place of, like, anger and hate uh, for what D&D &D is, you know, because they're wanting money. Like, all these people are wanting your money if you didn't want to give people money, like, that's not how any of this works. Uh, I, I hope that we support all of these creators, including Wizards of the Coast. Um, I'm going to keep playing 5e, and I'm going to 
keep on using D&D Beyond to do it, uh, and I'm going to keep on creating stuff, probably for D&D, because I don't think there's an OGL for the other systems that I would like to play. Um, and that's going to be what I'm going to keep on doing. And I'm also, hopefully, maybe with all the people who are trying to jump ship, maybe I'll get to play some other systems that I don't usually get to play. With all that, uh, let me know. Leave likes, comments, uh, anything you would like. That that really can help people find this show. I would like this year, uh, year 2023, to be a year where my podcast does better and is more interesting. Um, I am, like I said, moving, so I'm hoping that maybe a change of scenery and uh, kind of making this more of a priority will mean that uh, this is uh, going to be something that you're going to be interested in. If you've got topics that you'd like me to cover, let me know. Uh, I look forward to hearing what you have to say uh, and, and what stories you're telling around whatever table and whatever game system you're using. All right. With all that, take care. The Story Scribe podcast is hosted, written, directed, and produced by me, Blake Oliver. Additional disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. This does not constitute as legal advice.